<laughs> if you already know Drake or you already been on Drake's TikTok or his lives or his Sunday Zooms, which will be once a month now. <laughs> Did you know? Now you know. <laughs> you know whose voice this is. It's Shan from She Gets It Pod. So while you're listening to Everything Culture with an A, not a die, check out She Gets It pod all right i know i'm the one with the little boo me on there that's me all right new season new season 22 giving y'all encouragement motivation and a real insight in the things that i think about on a daily but i'm saying them out loud to y'all so check me out on she gets a pod on your favorite podcast app and also find me and the rest of my podcast on shambypodden.com. Now, I hope you're enjoying this show with everything culture. Hey, Drake. I'll let you have your mic back now. Bye. Listening and actually absorbing the feelings that I'm feeling right now as well. Because actually doing this work for the amount of years that I've done it and still doing it means a lot hearing this from, once again, leaders in our community. Okay? These are once elected people, persons, um, to, you know, absolutely be active in making changes in people's lives. With CPS, the decisions that are made just doesn't just affect the child. It doesn't just affect the parent. It affects the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, the grandchildren. It affects the full lineage of the family. And every time I would go into court to, to even make a recommendation, I feel like that weight was on my shoulders. And I always imagine what does it feel like to be a judge that has that type of weight um, and responsibility to make that decision. Love it, man. 25 items on my dresser. Yes, sir. I got stuck in pain. It won't be a little Go read a book, you illiterate. Son of a bitch. Step up your vocab. Don't be surprised. Patience to these false accusations. They faking the shaking cause the money you're making. Bricks on money on the dresser. Drive a compressor. Top notch. Get the most. Um, I, you know, it's probably different for every person, but uh, it was something on the CPS cases and in the juvenile cases where I was constantly thinking about it. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, on a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock, I would go, wait a minute. Now I know. I, I think we could do this, you know, uh, which I probably shouldn't, you know, probably figure out a way to, to cut it off. But, um, you know, uh, it is something that hopefully you, you, you do take very seriously and um, and that you do. You know, Judge, when you were saying that you you, you blew up and, and you shouldn't have, um, I was thinking, yeah, but you should have been outraged. Maybe you shouldn't have shown it, but uh, it would be more. It would be disturbing if if that had not out, outraged you and 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 made you. you know, there are some people, judges, I think, who might not have even figured out that the agency was basically giving him the finger. I mean that that was. I mean, there are some who would go, "Oh, oh, okay, I understand. You didn't have car seats. Okay, all right. Well, I guess and and." you figured out exactly what they were doing because um, you, you thought about it. Um, so, and, and look, we, I, I had to, I had to talk a colleague out of leaving the judiciary because this excellent judge um, against the recommendations of CPS um, placed a, a kid with grandparents uh, in a, a mobile home. And uh, as a toddler, uh, the child actually, uh, shot himself and, and died. Wow. And I told the judge, first of all, I would have done the exact same thing. Uh, the reasons that CPS didn't want to place had nothing to do with anything related to guns. They had done a home study and that wasn't an issue. Um, and, um, you know, the child was with family who had no criminal, I mean, nothing in this family's background um, suggested that this was an issue. Otherwise, I know this person would not have placed the kid there. But, um, and bottom line, it was done by a third party, not not by, by the judge. But, you know, that can be a devastating thing. I mean, this is a, a judge who I have so much respect for. Um, 
but you do make decisions where statistically some bad things are going to happen. You know, I look, I had a case where I, I always remember it, um, where, and it, cause it really informed the way I, I came to think about older kids in CPS care and kind of maybe flipping some of the presumptions of where they should live. I had a kid who, um, he wanted to go home. Uh, mom was still testing positive for, uh, cocaine and marijuana, but the kid made it really clear that he would rather live on the streets, um, than in a foster home. And I cut a deal and, you know, CPS was not going to place him back there. And he said, I, I want to be with my mom. And so I, you know, with his ad litem and the court reporter, we had a, a talk in, in chambers and I said, look, you're old enough to protect yourself. If you go to school every day and call your attorney once a week, I will protect you from CPS. And this kid went home, went to school every day and never got hurt. And, um, my regret is that I, I didn't do stuff like that earlier and, and start looking into, um, you know, safety isn't just this temporal thing of, or best interest isn't just locked into right now. It's necessarily about the future. And, um, you know, there are a lot of chances people don't take just because we assume that if something's been done a certain way, it, there must be a good reason for it. Um, so, you know. That was my way of the culture of CPS. It was... I remember leaving CPS and going to CASA or Child Advocates. And I remember my supervisor at the time, um, Kelly, I was went in and I was like, okay, yeah, we're going to a termination. She was like, why? Because the parents didn't do services. But why was that the first thing you just thought it was termination? And it was like, that's how I was told to go for it. I mean, yeah, exactly. Even right. though was, it checks all the boxes. Yeah, Come on. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly what it was. I remember when I was at CPS, and I once again, I wasn't perfect. I made some mistakes. You know, my, my most of my mistakes came on like typos in the court report. But nothing major. Nothing <laughs> but it was to the point where I used to call, especially fathers. I used to call them all. And I'm like, hey. You need to do this. I, I just have to go that extra step. And when you didn't do that extra step, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to talk to your attorney. Like, I'm coming in for full termination and this is X, Y, and Z. And it was just to focus on the checking. And I was trained to check the boxes. Um, yeah, yeah. And I tell one um, story. I want to hear more from y'all, but I have to share this with you all. I tell one story that's gotten pretty popular on social media. It's called, I call the kid's name Jesse. Okay, that's his name. All right. And I seen this kid, he was, his mother was, he came into character, his mother was panhandling and he was in a school. He was like 15, 16 in the seventh grade behind it. You know, just a lot of things. He was smoking, he was drinking, you know, a uh, white kid that just had a, a rough life. Okay. And I remember placing them in one of my favorite RTCs. I would say them loud and proud, but it was Kids Harbor. Like I've worked with a lot of residential treatment centers, but Kids Harbor had a certain touch with many of my kids. And he started to do well there. I have a black boy right here um, that I write everything down. I give little classes to people and I tell them about the levels of care. When it was level of care, he was, he did so well. He got bumped up into like the 10th grade. Um, he was an Alvin. I mean, started excelling everywhere. But, you know, when that level of care dropped, it's better you do. He had to move. He had to move to a different placement on the north side of Houston. It was a foster home and foster mother was hi hello welcome um this is my side of the house and this is the kids side of the house this is my family side of the house this is the boy side of the house wow red flag one and two for me right there and i'm like okay and him you know he used to live literally living in on the street sleeping on sidewalks okay so he's just happy to be anywhere you know he's not smoking not drinking um but She's showing me her, her her side of the house, beautiful, luxury furniture, high-end appliances. I'm like, okay, this is nice. Um, then we went to he showed she showed me the boys' kitchen because she had nothing but boys, teenage boys. And that their kitchen was in the garage. Very unkept, dirty, dusty, cobwebs. And I'm like, okay, show me their bedroom. Their bedrooms smell like urine and bleach strongly 
it was five boys in there already, teenagers, and it was three bunk beds. So you have six boys the size of this studio right here, sleep, sleeping on top of each other. The drawers where they kept their clothes didn't have a back to it. Everything's falling apart. I'm like boiling. I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, I'm kind of telling them like, hey, I'm talking to them a little bit. I'm going to be back for you. He's like, no, we're okay. And she tell me, you know, I let the boys do what they want to do. You know, I work with you caseworkers all the time. I know how busy y'all are, blah, blah, blah. Hey, just make sure to keep his level of care up. You know, put him, make sure you guys medication. And if you miss a visit, I'll cover for you. I'm, I'm, I, this is on a Friday evening. This is maybe three o'clock. And I'm like, I see my kids. As I remember saying, I see my kids. You don't have to worry about that. I'm going to be back, blah, blah, blah. I come back. I'm about to tell my supervisor, we about to get him out. I got to find him another placement. I got to kind of get him. My supervisor say, put the paperwork in and go home. You're kidding. Dead serious. That was the day I knew I was quitting state. So let me, real quick, just so the listeners understand, you mentioned that one of the things that was said was, uh, you were, uh, you know, keep his level of care up. Just for people who aren't familiar with the CPS stuff, say, explain that and why it's important. Okay. I don't and know what, it, what it meant. <laughs> so I wish I had my point in here. So we have basic, moderate, specialized, and intense. I, I believe they added another one since I was a caseworker. So there's levels of care. And these are how these placements are also paid. Okay. These are right. also how these children can stay, like what placements are being able to care for these children. Now, basic is what we can consider basic normal children. You know, normal behaviors, relationships, um, maybe not cursing, drinking, none of that things of that nature, doing well in school, blah, 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 blah. Moderate, they may have a little bit older, they may be cursing, they may be a little bit, you know, maybe not violent towards anyone else, or it may be violent towards other kids. So that's a little bit more pay scale and can't take a certain home. Also, when you go above, I believe basic, or mod- I know it's above basic, but I think moderate specialized, you cannot be adopted as well. So, and when you go to specialized, it's harder to find these kids too. I had a whole map too, because placements get further and further out as well. But we don't have enough time for that. I'm gonna do that on the different episode. But these placements get paid more and more and more. I'm tossing out numbers here. I don't have them in front of me. So let's say a placement get paid two fifty a week for a moderate child. Okay, that's just a number. Let me just say two hundred dollars a week per child. So she had six children in her home, and she want to make sure that they're all moderate to specialized. And you could be two hundred for a moderate, and maybe three fifty for a specialized. That's per week they're getting paid. Multiply that times six. So if you have all moderate children, that's $1,200 a week. Multiply that times four, that's $4,800 you can pay monthly. Why the hell these kids have, and, and you? And at that time, they were still getting clothing vouchers. They were still getting a lot of the benefits. And unfortunately, you have some foster parents that abuse that system and it hurts the kid. Like these things are made for the kids, not for the caregiver. That's the biggest thing I used to say. And this is when I, I mean, I was maybe a year and a half in as a caseworker. And when I came back in and she knew the game, she knew to say, hey, you ain't got to come visit the kids. You don't have to do this. I'll cover you back. So I know other caseworkers are allowing this to happen. Sure. Well, the the moral of the story, I guess, is if you're going to be involved in human trafficking, make sure that your client is the state. Uh, wow! Well, can y'all can you all hear me? This is Frank. I think oh, my video is stopped. Can y'all oh, still hear, hear my microphone? Oh, yes. I, I because I heard was in family law court. I also heard divorces, and about this time I had a really messy divorce where the couple had made a lot of money, and and one of the things they were arguing over, they had they ran several foster homes, and there were the group homes like you described. But they didn't have just one. They had like three or four. And I don't know how they did it because they weren't supposed to. But they were making a lot of money. And it, it, I imagine it's kind of what you just described, you know, basically. It, it, and I, when I would interview kids, I heard frequently they'd say, well, you know, the, the kids that live there, the, the children of the foster parents, they get better clothes. They get this. They have Actually, in one place, they actually got better food than any event. The, uh, but on the other hand, there were some foster parents who I think are saints, and oh, they were oh, yeah. for the oh, yeah. oh, yeah. God bless them. But unfortunately, I, I think 
CPS needs to be a little more aggressive about some of these homes. And I can say yeah. it wasn't shut down then. Me and my supervisor, yeah. we got into a little bit of a, quite a bit of a professional back and forth, you know, and right. basically like, hey, getting, and I was a struggling, I was, I was sleeping on the air matches my first six months coming to come when I was eight as a CPS caseworker, like 2009 was a recession. I came right. in class with 80 other caseworkers and it was it was rough you know and had yeah. to deal with a lot it was a lot of stress and we're going to talk about that on a different episode of the caseworkers but when i looked i was like you don't care about the kids you right. and as i said as a, you you really don't give a damn about this kid at all and i was like i felt responsible because i've seen where he came from and a few months like i maybe a month or two Kid, you know, it was one of those days where kids got out of school. Well, I think school was out, and I knew. And when school is out, that's the best time for kids, caseworkers, go visit their kids. So I'm like, perfect. I'm gonna go to this side of town. I'm gonna visit all my kids here, here, here. And I call the the foster, the same foster parent. I'm like, hey, I'm here to see Jesse. She was like, Jesse's at school. I'm like, really? How? Okay, well, no problem. I went by the school. People, the custodians, they're like, school is closed. What are you talking about? I'm like, okay, I call her back. And I was like, hey, just call and check on Jesse. I'm in the area. And she got loud with me, talking about, I don't know why you keep calling me, blah, 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 Mr. Drake. Um, told you he's at school. I said, you have five minutes to locate him. Wow. Five minutes. That's it. You have five minutes to locate him. I need to call back. I need to see him immediately. Then I need to talk to you afterwards. And with that being said, I made a report. Oh, I had, you, unfortunately, with some case workers, I know I was one of them. I had to make a lot of emails and I had to learn to what we call CYA um, for the people who may not right. know, cover your ass. <laughs> and yeah. I had to blind CC my program director um, about certain things because come to find out one of the kids were was being I think was I think start having lesions on their skin and things of that nature. And that was able with my information and that information was able to shut down that foster home, that racket, you can call it. I was yeah. like, but, but it happens. It happens more, especially yeah. this is a different conversation for the future, too, with children that have special needs and they're aging out of care. That's a whole <laughs> different yeah. thing. I've never that that I, when I was able to see that part, I didn't even know how to even react. Because it's not enough resources for people with needs, uh, adult needs, when they transition into eight adult protective services. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, um, I mean, this, you talk about something that could be its own podcast. Um, I, I may or may not eventually do a, a paper on this, but I've been researching for a long time and looking at a lot of numbers about um, these placements and the non relative placements, and they, the consequences of some of these bad placements are I don't even think we know how how deeply um, these kids are affected and and as you could probably tell from visiting with me I you know I, I tend to focus a lot on on drugs um, and when you look at the prescription drugs um, that a lot of these kids are given and and how that correlates to their level of care um, I remember, gosh, probably in 2017, I was able to take a lot of my numbers and export them into Excel files and then anonymize, you know, make it where you couldn't see the kid's name, but it had a bunch of other data. Mm -hmm. I showed it to um, uh, Dr. Carl Hart, who at the time um, was the chair of the psychology department at, at uh, Columbia. And he immediately he said three things stick out. I've never seen kids on doses like these. I've never seen kids on this number, this many medications at the same time, some of which were involved more than one medication to treat the same thing. And he said, I've never, well, the third observation is more of a question. Why are almost all of these kids on non-generic drugs? Like, how and I looked yeah. into that and I found out there's right. actually a a state uh, group that commission I guess that decides what medication the state of Texas will pay for and he's like you know that nobody's really made an ADHD drug that's any better than what we had in the 70s 
but they've figured out ways to make it more expensive. And so anyway, I start. We started looking at all the, the data, and um, and and as you know, uh, Brandon, that's another way to sort of guarantee uh, get your levels up. Or one of the consequences could be you're on more more drugs. And we started to look at like the the percentage of kids who were on these really hardcore psychotropic meds in relative placements versus non-relative placements. And then the percentage of the kids who are on medication just seemed to plummet for mm -hmm. grandma and grandpa. Um, and I, I, we don't have any, I, there's nothing but speculation to try and figure out some of the reasons why. And, and look, there could be some correlations because the kids who are the most troubled might be the ones who are most likely to be in an RTC or something. And that may skew uh, the, the numbers. But I think a lot of it is just that it's very uh, counter-instinctual for a parent or a grandparent to just dose a kid with a ton of drugs. Whereas, like, I would guess that even a well-meaning stranger might just go, well, that's what the doctor said to do. And, you know, whereas, like, I, I think, I mean, I could imagine just in, in my family, my family go, no, we're not going to solve this problem by giving them a bunch of drugs. Absolutely. In one of my PMC cases, the mother showed up, and, and, and clearly she had a lot of issues, but she cared about her, her child who was in PMC, and what she cared about, he was drugged up all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I actually issued a subpoena, if you will, for the psychologist to show up, because then the, I appointed an ad litem who knew a lot about medication, who also said, this is unbelievable. This child is way over medicated. Mm -hmm. uh, and dangerously so. I mean, some of these were contraindicated. Uh, and do you know that the therapist refused to show up, refused? I said, you can testify by phone. She has a contract with CPS. And I do think that maybe has been fixed. I mean, I've talked to CPS. If you're going to do contracts with people, tell them that they need to be available to testify in court. But, you know, the mother who, again, had her issues, but she is the one who just kept pushing. My son is drugged up. He's he's a druggie, but by pharmaceutical drugs, and uh, and then she was right. And uh, but again, no. you again, I'm 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 sounding maybe overly harsh. I know the people, the individuals that work for CPS care, but you know the agency really had some serious problems. I hear it's getting better, but you know one of those was you know all these site, you know the. Uh, legislature required an annual review of the kids' medication. And I think the legislature, when they passed that bill, intended for the child to be examined. But what CPS did, they had somebody look at the medication and just sign off on it. Um, so the, uh, again, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be overly critical because it's very difficult. They have a difficult job. I know that. But I do sure. think there, can, there are some improvements happening and there can be more my only concern is that sometimes when the pendulum swings, it swings too much. You know, are, are there kids that should be removed at least temporarily with relatives and a better, more humane way of telling the kids what's going on who aren't being, you know, who are not being removed right now temporarily? But of course, yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think we need to watch out, you know, for that to make sure that doesn't happen. But I just think there can be a whole different approach to this problem, um, you know, that might be better for the kids. And we, we only need to be child-centered on, on everything we do, which Judge Schneider pointed out earlier. Well, yeah, and, and you know, imagine if you were the the, the, the commissioner of, of CPS in, in any state, you're talking about the, the pendulum going back and forth. C CPS gets beat up either way. They, right. If, if they're, they're for removing kids, they shouldn't. And the uh, death that happens when a child is returned home. And I mean, so they're going to get it from both ends. And, and you know, so that's that's tough. And, and I think if I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm not a psychiatrist um, and I might if I was in a, in a case might not have any reason to. Uh, question at medication. It's not that like, like Judge Wren said, there's some wonderful caseworkers, uh, wonderful people at, 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 at CPS, but um, they probably aren't qualified to act as, as uh, uh, 
you know, prescribing uh, psychiatrists. And, you know, one of the, the interesting ironies, and I've seen it over and over and over, and I'm sure you all have, where you have kids who are removed because there are allegations that the parents are doing meth. Then the kids come into care and they get prescribed an amphetamine compound mm-hmm. like Adderall. And so the state is simultaneously punishing someone for using a substance that we know from research has an indistinguishable effect. You know, there's actually research done at Columbia, longtime meth users being put on Adderall in, in double blind studies and not being able to tell the difference. And not just behaviorally, but even when you monitor their vital vitals and everything else, it's indistinguishable. And the irony of removing kids because this is in their system and then placing those same substances in the kids is just oh, just the strangest irony to me. I know, I know. And just briefly, lost Judge Rand. Hopefully he jumps back in. You know, things come around. I was just going to point something out because um, I was thinking, like, my mentee, once again, I've been in his, in his life since he was 11, since 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, he, Judge Rand was the judge on his case. And the reason I, once again, my first time, a second time meeting him, I realized I was taking him from a foster home, like, like once again, brand new. Once again, when you're talking about caseworkers being ill prepared, like you're literally just yeah. thrown into this. Okay. Sure, sure. And I mean, you get out of that three months of training is nothing. It, it, it gives you the, the, the A's and B's, but it don't give you anything else in the alphabet. Let me tell you that. Okay. But I appreciated basic skill and development training because that's what sparked my passion for culture diversity training and diversity, equity, and inclusion training as well. Um, but when I was thrown into this work, it was like, like literally what they said when you graduated from training is like, welcome to hell. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like okay. Right. <laughs> and and I was just saying, for Judge Rand, my first case was in your yeah. court. Um, the kid I'm still a mentee wow. with, um, it was a case that I, you know, I say it if I change the name, but it was a case where a mother was selling substances. It was, it was three boys, one girl, and the mother ran over the person who was trying to steal drugs from her and ran over in the car. And mother was something else. The mother was something different. She was one. She still my first. My first case was my most difficult. Once they, she was my smartest and made it most difficult parent because she was extremely mischievous. She lied on paperwork, falsified information. She embarrassed wow. the pure hell out of me in my first permanency conference because she came with falsified documents and I was like I've been doing everything and but, she, but once again I had to be diligent. But she trained me to be the person I had to become. It was like right. I I. She, double triple check everything i call people yeah. and kind of find out she had a warrant out for arrest but the reason we're talking about is the substances because with the uh, the 11 year old at the time because it was a 17 year old a 15 year old 11 year old and the girl was i think nine and before i was moving them to a placement once again i branded don't know anything but when i was looking at this young man he would he was when i first time i saw him he was talking super talkative okay oh, oh yeah and then I went to see him the second time. I had his medication. He was no exaggeration, drooling. Wow. Mouth open. And I'm like, what? Mm. What the hell is this? And that was right. my first time experience something like that. Once again, these, and once again, we're going to have a panel with CPS caseworkers, and hopefully I can bring some leaders of CPS on as well. That I want everybody's perspective because me being a new CPS worker, I'm I'm 22. I'm out. This is my first job out of college. I'm like, what is this? You know, I'm like, why is this happening? And when I was able to place him with a family member, and I had to, you know, I'm glad everybody was in agreement with that. Um, even though the family was not the best, you know, the family had some issues and some struggles along the way, but it was better than when he was at. And unfortunately, he he had to come back in and carry later. But that's we'll lean on that. Um, because the mother got somehow the mother got out of prison and took took the kids again. Um, wow, yeah. So when we talk about even experiences, I had one. I've had two. I can talk about in Judge Schneider's court, where one it was it became a jury trial. Had a very difficult father, and I'm like, 
he hit his ideology. He was smarter than the system. His ideology, nobody's going to tell him what he's going to do and not do with his children. He wasn't abusing his children, but he was neglecting his children. His girlfriend was the one abusing the children. And he was like, literally, he said, I wasn't the one that did it, though. You're still with this woman, though. And we find out right. he's still with the woman. And, wow. and we were going to place the kids with his sister. We like when we talk about the deep dive that Judge Schneider was talking about, we look for family member everywhere. We find a sister that lives less than a mile away from him. Coincidentally, in Baytown. Now, these are these kids had some delays. I don't know if you remember these kids. I still got that picture on the phone. I remember coming to court with you before because they was in PMC for some some amount of time. Uh, the dad was an extreme racist and sexist. Um, and his, the kids were placed with a black family. And I was so happy that these these kids were shown love and they loved this family. That was with this family for a long period of time until they had to be removed because, you know, they didn't the, the family never wanted to adopt. And I remember Judge Snyder kept trying to say, talk them into it. I'm like, they told me no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this. I remember this so well. And but I remember we was gonna place it, um the kids with his sister. And I remember him said verbatim, and I couldn't do nothing about it because Josette Ledoux was the attorney at Lightham on the case. And he told us, everybody was like at a visit or someone, he said, if you place my kids with my sister, we wasn't even going to terminate his rights. He said, I would kill her. And I was like, damn. Wow. And he thought he was going to get, he he really thought he was going to get his kids back. He had three different attorneys. He'll fire, get a new one, and his rights are terminated. But these kids end up being in care for a long period of time. I mean, like maybe another two, three years in permanency. Um, and I remember to the point I moved on and started working as the recruitment training retention manager at Child Advocates. But I still kept in touch. I always kept in touch. And I remember those kids were finally adopted by a whole different family member that was able to step up and take care of them. They located on the side where the mother side didn't want to have anything to do with them initially. And it, it's just... It's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional work. Um, just being in child welfare from all different perspectives. Um, I had another one, Judge Schneider, where the mother worked every single service. Every single service. She did every she was like the ideal parent. She was low income. She was a small Latin or a Mexican woman. And nothing but maybe five foot tall. She worked her job. She used to walk to visit she her, her the bus used to drop off and she walked another mile to go visit the kids she never missed one visit and she did everything he's been doing a visit and i remember the kids are placed in a very wealthy home um in the woodlands very wealthy home and they're nice nice family don't get me wrong nice family caucasian family um had a daughter of their own had all the kids had their own bed and they used to use that hey they have their own bedroom they have a pool in the backyard all these great amenities and things but it rubbed me such a wrong way when they were approaching the mother in court before CASA or a CPS worker got there and like, hey, how about you just sign up your rights to us or just give your rights to the state so we can adopt them, we can keep visit. Like, and when the mother came to me in tears, as this one I was a child advocate and like telling me what happened, I like get lying. And I remember having to go to the judge and like, hey, this, you know, she's doing, and she was doing everything she was going to be doing. And this was this one of the cases that I. We did everything we were supposed to be do, but it still didn't work out well. The kids were placed back with mom because mom completed all her services. She did everything. A year and a half later, mom did the same damn thing that got them back in care again. Was on the news, everything. And that was my biggest fear. Always my kids come back in care and I signed off or something. But I had to talk to my volunteer. We did it. She did everything she was supposed to do at that time. And we made a recommendation based off the facts. And we we gave, you know, I think everybody did the right thing, but we were able to pace the kids back with their family. But it was one of the things that I was like, it's hard work. <laughs> You're going to make some mistakes along the way. So I know even if you all as judges and even if you get upset and you may go off on anyone or you may, we have to have grace for ourselves. You're not perfect. And something I will make sure to continue with every single one of these conversations is, the system is a people system, okay? And people are not perfect. So the system is never going to be perfect. But we have to continue to grow, um, evolve, make changes when we need to make changes, and learn from our mistakes. That's why we go by it.
because it, it, it's, it's and I'm looking forward to once again more buy-in from because even Roger I didn't even think to contact Rogers Boudreaux he's been perfect for this <laughs> good but yeah so oh um, I know y'all I don't want to take up too much of your time y'all have been so and we once again we still got to do the makings of y'all the makings of you for each one of y'all but what can you leave us this what would you want to share with anybody that wants to get involved in child welfare from any level and basically what changes you want to see in the system oh man I, I, could you narrow it down to like say somebody wants to be a child advocate or somebody wants to be a caseworker <laughs> or an attorney or I'm I was just... going to I was, I was going to ask for each one like because I really want to know from because it seemed like you all get it you know that's the biggest thing about it I've had some folks that it's like because I'm not perfect so if I want to become an attorney, let's say an attorney at Lytton with CPS, what would you advise? What information do you have? Well, you know, one of the things that I think um, compared to, say, medical school, I think one of the ways in which law schools or that, that system sort of fails is you have a lot of folks who... Uh, like in any profession, they imagine themselves doing a certain thing um, and then they get out and they see it and it's not at all what, what they want to do. Whereas, you know, like if you're you're a physician, by the time you've graduated, especially if you're lucky enough to, to do it in, in Houston, you've delivered babies, you've done all kinds of things in the real world. So I, I would suggest um, if you go to a law school that has a clinic, um, get into that and see if you like it or you don't. Um, I'm lucky enough right now, I've got a fantastic intern um, from, thanks to David and Katya Dow, um, from U of H Law School, and he's helping me on a what's essentially a pro bono homicide juvenile case, and um, he's fantastic, and, and he knows exactly what this entails. I mean, that's more, you know, juvenile, not, not CPS, but he sees some in the that are in both systems um, but there are a lot of people just because of say a personality type deal or, or that may have nothing to do with how much they love kids just the actual job itself you understand like the hours that, that it really takes to do it right you, you understand that every weekend uh, if you're doing this out of uh, Harris County Texas you're gonna be in the car visiting your kids um, if you're doing your job uh, you're gonna be you're going to be in court five days a week. Uh, you're going to be, you know, the, the, just the, that kind of stuff, regardless of how good their intent are, if, if they don't understand what it actually entails, like how would you describe, you've been a caseworker and a child advocate. You know, I remember when CPS, they would just get paid once a month mm. and once a month they would turn in their, all their, their gas bills and, and everything. And, you know, no matter how much you like kids and want to be a social worker, if you can't stand being on call 24 seven, that's not the job for you. And let me add something quickly, too. And if you owe the college that you went to because you took out a transcript and they never informed you that you had a transcript and you owed five dollars, they will hold your full travel check. <laughs> like, really? oh, 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 that was a t oh, when I say stress, when I say stress, <laughs> I was not happy. Wow. I was so upset. I'm like, oh. But instead of taking five dollars out, they'll hold a good uh, eleven hundred out. So Which do you have any doesn't give you the money to pay the five dollars? Uh, right. Makes it even more stressful. Exactly. Um, Randy, you've heard about. Michael. Oh, sorry. Good. Oh, just, I agree with Michael. You know, you need to be able to re recognize your weekends are not going to be your own and you're going to be in court a lot. And it's often very stressful because sometimes the answers are not clear. You know, you can put your, all your intelligence and all your good faith and hard work. But sometimes, you know, it's really difficult to make a recommendation or, you know, it's just it's difficult work. You know that, Brandon, from your work as a CPS caseworker, your work with child advocates, it's, it's hard. And part of it is you're dealing with people and people are not perfect and often in very stressful situations. So that, I think, is very important. So I agree with Judge Schneider. If you have a chance to do an internship, get your feet wet, do something so you can really see what it's like. And the system is not perfect. So you're going to get frustrated 
by the delays, by the imperfect results. Um, yeah, and that's just, so my advice is go in with your eyes wide open. Try not to lose your commitment and your enthusiasm. Always remember, you know, the interest of the child comes first, although that's often what's hard. What is best for the child? Yes. So, you know, that's your goal. It's often yeah. hard to ascertain that. And uh, so that would be my recommendation is that just I can do it for the money. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. You know, that makes me think of uh, I, I really love jury trials. I think uh, it's one of the things that we should be most proud of in our system that especially now I feel like we jurors are even more uh open-minded that I remember them being 20 years ago. And um, uh, but we talk about, I guess the way I took your question was, what would you tell different people who want to get into this? It really always struck me, you know, when you're, nobody hardly, when they come down to be a juror, uh, imagines that they're going to be on a CPS case. or they don't even understand, many of them don't even know that that whole system exists. And it made me think of that when, when Frank was, uh, talking about, you know, the d decisions can be so hard and there's not always a right decision. And, um, you know, when you have a, a bunch of people, let's say a group of people who did not really volunteer to make a decision about uh, an abused or neglected child and they have to make a decision where there's going to be a loser no matter what. Um, and uh, it, that's interesting to watch what happens when you have people who mean, mean well and are put into the system and actually have to make decisions based on what little information they have and with such gravity. Um, I, every single, uh, even in the, the cases that you would think of as slam dunk, uh, I always had uh, jurors who expressed, whoa, I'm so glad I don't have to do this every day. And even in a case where you had a parent who clearly uh, was not able at that time to parent. They always felt horrible about having to terminate uh, a parent's rights if, if that's what they they had to do. Um, and I was always so impressed by how seriously they seemed to take it. Wow! Wow! Well, I would say um, I love hearing that because I'm the opposite. I am not a fan of jury trials, and when I was at when I was at child advocates, I think I held the most jury trials ever. I had like just back to back to back, but they went well. It, uh, but did I, you I, feel I, like like most of the time they came up came they had a, a decent outcome? I mean, um, yes, majority of them, absolutely. It was one that this case just closed. This case is open for eight nine years. Um that it went to jury and I think this, I know what court this is, um, but this is a, this, you know, this might have been the 309. Uh, this is a court that really pushed it. They changed it where um, the judge can't overturn jury because it wasn't very, this is the only case I've seen a judge overturn um, the jury's decision because the jury when they said when they made it during the, the debrief um said the reason why they wanted to place the children with the grandmother because they thought cps and child advocates was going to stay on we're like no we're we're done we're done after this and they're like oh we know like everybody we did not know we did not understand that we thought y'all were going to continue to monitor because we were like the the grandmother was just as bad as the mother it was a situation in that <laughs> and it was yeah they were like made a decision the judge you know it was a lot that went into that that was that was a hell of a case um but and i know you had a question to judge schneider uh, do you recall it uh just about uh, if if you thought how you thought the outcome generally was with with jurors if they would oh, tend to get it right if they got the right information like for that jury it sounds like they, you know, but for not having been told what was really going on in the system, they probably right. wouldn't have made that decision. So, but right. generally, it's yeah. always about education. It's all about education. Um, like for the one when I had in your court, I went down to the like usually the jury um, was it deliberation? Is that what it's called when they make a decision? Mm -hmm. um, right. Deliberate. Usually take like maybe an hour, two hours, maybe a day. 
I went to the restroom, came back. People was past me that like, I like where everybody go. They're like, oh, we're done. They made it, and they made the decision that fast. <laughs> so I was like, what? I'm like, okay, well, you know, it was, we're in agreement with it. And even with that decision being made, made, and we didn't want it to go that way with the the dad, but just seeing him cry, it was like, it, it's hard to see people that. Even adults don't have their own best interests and they don't have their own best interests of their children at time. We don't understand um, its consequences for your actions uh, or your, your the actions you don't make. But it, I think that make the mis- decision as far as I work with them. But I've been on juries on the other end, too. And I am not the biggest fan of them it's because I un- people we have, once again, living in the culture and the society we are now is kind of a prey praise that like hey you know mistakes happen i do these conversations like we're having but with the general public about and you get the strong polar opposites come out you have people that people should be um where they can't have children with inseminated anymore they would um where they, they can't no longer have children they should have like a a certain type of law or permit to have kids you know you have to make a certain like people legit say that do you have some that like cps shouldn't get involved until the child is dead or has been severely um hurt i'm like what about but these and these are people parents that are saying this this is like they have whole profiles and lives out and they're confident what they're saying so that's what i love having this conversation here so we can see all sides um because it's good and bad and all, you know, and yeah. it, it's once again, but when you're talking about the work, it's stressful, it's hurtful, but the system need a lot of um, tweaking and a lot of updating and a lot of adjusting. I remember even paying caseworkers more because even Judge Wren was getting on talk. I was getting paid with $32,000 out of college. Um, once again, I was I was living with friends my first two months. I didn't have a bed frame until six months down the line. Uh, then they holding my check back before because of a transcript I didn't know about. Then I'm getting yelled and cursed out by everyone. You have high stress. You're making decisions. You have kids crying. You have parents. Crying. And I'm like, I am not getting paid enough of this. But, yeah, and your, your, your house wouldn't have even passed a home study. And, and exactly. You know, and, and, and case in point, because we've had caseworkers that had kids, CPS involved in their life. And that's the, we I've seen that happen. And it's like it's a cycle for what well, it, it, it's causing a caseworker to be unsuccessful. Well, I'm yeah. saying that I had around 80 people that graduated me in basic skills and development training within three months. It was down to 30. Wow. That's how many people left. OK, actually, that does was a question I was going to start to ask a few minutes ago. The huge exodus of CPS workers. I think mm-hmm. it's unprecedented this year. What's your take on that? I look at one. I didn't know about it. Two, I'm not surprised. We just coming out of a, a, a pandemic. I knew when the pandemic started. I was in Seattle, but I knew in pandemic I was calling some of my coworkers. I like it's about to get real ugly because we all know, unfortunately, when just like with a lot of divorces, when families are meant to be together and they're stuck together. Unfortunately, children are abused. Usually a lot of reports come in when kids go back to school or over the summertime when abuse and neglect happens. And I don't know how much casework is getting paid now. We're going to find out in the upcoming um, episode. But once again, this type of work is, I don't know if y'all know this, but I did repo while I was in college. I worked at Renner Center. All right. When I used to knock on doors and third ward and dead end and out deep in the country and things of that nature with Confederate flags and things, I used to get guns pointed in my face directly to me. I really do repo to do CPS man. Really? That's how bad. I mean, when I I started going to therapy because of my job. That's how because of the repo out. job. No, because of CPS. CPS job. CPS, wow. like CPS, stressed me out that much as a caseworker because one, I'm 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 fighting it, I'm fighting everybody, I'm fighting everybody, and and from the I remember I had some a county attorney which was supposed to be my attorney, legit said I was it was some paperwork. What is it called when you have to do the a diligent search? I forgot what the the code name that you got to enter to locate the missing father. 
And you have so much going on. No matter how organized you think it is, I have this. And they just throw out these cases at you, especially when you have transfer cases, which are pure hell. But the thing is, it was like I saw one, my supervisor did not support kids, did not support me. I saw him throw me on the completely lie. And I'm glad I blocked CYA in my program to step up. And then when I saw a county attorney say I didn't do a paperwork and we we're going through um, the discovery and she flipped the page and she flipped it fast. And I'm like, stop. That's it right there. I did give it to you. Then she flipping again. It popped up a second time. I turned it another one like two months later because I was court ordered to do so. And I was like, really? I was like, F it. I'm like, I, it was like, it, it, yeah. it, it made me to who I am now to be prepared. I'm in HR now and I make sure to check certain um, policies and procedures and make sure to be kind. And the reason why I got into HR because the caseworkers needed better support. As a CPS caseworker, as doing your work, you do not have enough support. You would go, it would drive you crazy. I used to walk by and I used to see CPS caseworkers breaking down, crying at their desk. I mean, not not anything's going on personally in their home, but because then you see red case files. That it's not normal to see that type of, you know, I, the abuse and neglect. Yeah. Then when these kids open up to you, and I'm I'm a big person speaking about secondary post traumatic stress. It, it affects you just reading that case file. People yeah. send me all the time, you should watch this movie, read this book. Do you know the work that I've <laughs> I, I can write a book myself and I'm talking about because I, I, oh my goodness, one of the kids, I've had a kid commit suicide and I remember talking to him. But he, it's not record, it's not on record that he commit suicide, but damn it, I'm, we're not stupid, you know? But I remember talking to him. He came into care because his mother would not stop um, abusing drugs. She never abused him, never hurt him. But he was say she was molested by a foster parent right before I became his child advocate, okay? Like a few months later. Well, a few months before. And he had, he came from a family group of 11 children. He was 15, 16 at that age. And when I was sitting, I would, you know, visit my kids, my teenagers. I used to, I used to call them every Friday. I may not see you every week, but in the really is the um, the cost of supervisor. I'm supposed to see you every three months, but I know as a black male figure, I'm gonna keep a relationship with you. And I remember I'm going to see him one month, and he told me, you know what, CPS failed me, and he was, but coming from him, because he was a very quiet kid, but to open up like that, I I would never forget. But he like, CPS failed me. You know, my mama never hurt me. My mama didn't do anything to me, you know. But I was molested. I've been in, well, he was, when I was, before I became his um, CASA uh, supervisor, he was in, what, eight different placements. And throughout the time I was with him, he was in another maybe eight. <laughs> he said, I've been, I don't feel like they did, the, they, did they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And... Yeah. I've had some kids. Uh, I had more kids be unsuccessful than successful. I would say that, and not saying if they would been to the parents, it would have been better or worse. But I, I t- I'm an empath, and I take that serious. Like that, that's something that is hard to see. And that's why I say doing that work is a lot. I try to yeah. train people that have the capacity to do it and continue to go out and make these changes because we all got so much we can do before we burn out. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's a long and- answer. Yeah, but you know, it's it's tragic not just because of what uh, happens to those kids, but it it's disturbing to me. Um, you know, having known you for a long time, that you're the kind of person who should be a regional director or a commissioner of CPS, not somebody who's driven out. I mean, because when you have people who are smart, empathetic. They're, they're not going to make it in a system working in a system like that. Mm-hmm. That's not who becomes the program directors or the program administrators or the, you know what I mean? Um, and I know because that's what was told. That was what I saw. You check the boxes and I'm, it was, you see it in me being young, seeing that it, it once again, it, it, it molded me to be in more spaces. Like the organization I'm with now, I'm in the food justice, hunger solution. I basically work with like the uh, Houston food bank and I we work with people that actually care about the mission, and that's the thing. I, CPS has the mission, but do they have people who care about it in total? That's the struggle. 
That's the struggle. And I, I hopefully this is reaching people that, that and that's what the, this is to reach people to say, hey, I don't because if we get if we tear down CPS, get rid of the system. What do we have? What will we yeah. do? That's and, a good question. Because even with you know with your um, the, the the case that recently with the I'm assuming that was a case a that told that child to get into prostitution. Um, I was like, I said, I think I even know that case a. I think that's my form case a. When I was like, just even even though the face blurred out, that doesn't that didn't surprise me. Unfortunately. Yeah, um, and that that's a that's a sad story, and really. Um, not just because that individual did that, but, you know, the fact that you have um, so many of these uh, CWAP kids now and what does um, CWAP stand for? Uh, children without placement. Mm-hmm. So you remember a few years ago, um, there were at times as many as about 400 kids statewide who were in, um, you know, they were staying in the CPS offices, offices and then yeah. Judge Judge Jack got on to them. And for your listeners, Judge Jack is the uh, federal judge who's mm-hmm. uh, been overseeing the CPS system for, gosh, at least 10, 11 years. Yeah, um, and and then when that, uh, after her criticism, they were moving them out uh, of, of the offices, but moving them into hotels and not in the greatest neighborhoods. Uh, if I, my understanding is this happened at a hotel uh, in Southwest Houston, which is a bad neighborhood to be in. Right off this and that. If you know yeah. Houston, we know what's going on there. And yeah. that woman meant that. That's the thing. That woman. Oh, meant oh, absolutely. And, and, and yeah, and I've look from talking. I've worked with that mom for a long time, and uh, she's told me that the other girls were engaged in prostitution because who's watching them? They basically would have, you know, six or eight hour shifts where there was somebody there, you know, mom had to bring food and clothes to the hotel. I said, you know, what would they eat? And she was like, well, there was no stove or anything. So everything was microwavable or in a can. And, you know, and and, uh, in that video, if you remember, she's essentially saying, you know, why should I? What's my incentive to give you food? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. 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 And- I, by the way, uh, you'd mentioned that the TikTok thing. I um, I got an uh, email the other day with a, a message of you know potential new client, and we always have a little form you know source of referral, and the person put TikTok, and I went on TikTok and I put my name in there in CPS, and there's all these like more videos that I could account yes. count. And then there's an account with my picture and a bunch of videos, but it's not me. You might, and, want, you might want to get a hold of that quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was, that was crazy. And it was not just this one. It was, you know, the sanctions against CPS a few years ago and all this other stuff. And I was like, yeah. Social, social media has power. And you just got to make sure to utilize them in the best way. I try to use it for good. And when you know how many times people sent me that video because they look at me, oh, Drake, you got to look at this. You got to speak about this. I like, this is the person I've been trying to have on the show for, about, you know, having a future. And like, yeah. and I said, whatever he's saying, support it because he cares, you know. Um, but it, it's one of the, I mean, social media is a lot. And I want to make sure people are being well informed. And that's yeah. why I try to be patient. It's hard because, uh, like, once again, the hardest thing me doing is talk, trying to get the biological parents that had kids in care. If y'all know anyone, let me know. I've had some that we we did their makings of you. They're one-on-one, got to know them, and I can see the hurt that they've had in life. And usually yeah. that cycle, they were abused. Yeah. They were heavily neglected, talked down to, and... They did it to a child. I, I've been threatened. Well, I have been doxxed. Somebody put my personal information online because I had to address them. Like they were live in effect abusing their child online. Wow. And they and like and they've been on my show. And I'm like, hell no. We're no. What did it? Do you? That's I do not just talk about. This is something I live by. <laughs> you know. I'm, I'm yeah, very yeah. In tune with this work, but it, it, so are it, you saying? Are you looking for? 
uh, parents who have kids to come on in the system to come on? Is that what you're, you're looking for? Correct. I, 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 man, I've got some clients who would love to tell their story um, and, and in a constructive way. Um, and, that, and that's the thing. I needed a constructive way because I've had some that it's like. Yeah, it's just hatred or, or yeah. whatever, you know, or bitterness. Or, but yeah, no, you know, I, I, I think that's great. And, you know, I'm meaning to say this since we started, you were talking about you're going to be doing a series of uh, podcasts with, you know, different people in the system, your judges and attorneys and whatever. Um, you've probably already thought of this, but I think it would be so cool after you've done that to have like a panel uh, podcast where people are criticizing each other. See? And, and, and we're right here. And that's what I, yeah. we're right there in that right there. And once see, this is something I prayed over before I even started putting it together. And I'm also one of those that I don't want it. I want it to be genuine and casual, just like we're having right now. Every, everything we've said here, it hasn't been pre-discussed anything of that nature. No. We just came on and we just start sharing our experiences. Okay. And I already know, like I've cried on some of my previous episodes, like just the discussions one-on-one with people. I was telling Judge um, Schneider, Judge Ren, that I've been doxxed. I've had, because I'm trying to locate parents breaking that cycle so hard. And I just hopefully, once again, I'm hoping and I'm praying, I think we were just going to reach some people that may need to hear all of our perspectives. And even with CPS, hearing from other caseworkers, uh, we have a pretty good lineup of people from even different states to talk about the work that they're doing. Um, I've had some kids that have aged out of care, some that are they are active and they started their own nonprofits. And I yeah. have some that are still learning throughout their process as well. And and one I'm trying to do with um, service providers too, because people need to understand what these things look like, provide services, and how do we continue to provide resources to have these families and these children be successful. But so was, if a couple yeah, things. I mean, first of all, thank you for doing this. Yeah, um, I think I know there is a, a hunger for this kind of material about CPS stuff. I, I get calls literally from across the country uh, every week. And there's so many people who want to, have this kind of information, people who want um, want people to come together and share ideas. Um, but number two, it's like, you know, on a, a million times I've given, you know, sound bites to newspapers and TV and all that. And to be able to do a long form conversation, it's just a completely different deal. Uh, even, you know, I, I, I loved, and I know Judge Wren did too, being a commissioner on the, um, uh, the Supreme Court of Texas uh, Children's Commission. Right. So great. I love to hear when we would get together, uh, sort of everybody's on, on the commission's t- five or 10 or even 15 minutes of uh, sharing what they've been doing since our last meeting. But even then, it's not uh, as long form as something like this. And, and it's not, there's not really as much of a back and forth. Um so this is a real, this is a great format too. So thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and, and again, if I can do something in the future, you know, let me know. Okay. I sure will. Sure will. Okay. Um, so, you know, for our listeners to our viewers, once again, this would be on Spotify, uh, Apple podcast to YouTube and little snippets here and there on through our social medias. Um, if the people are looking for you and you're trying to be found, where can the people find you? Uh, if you Google my name and CPS, you, you'll, <laughs> uh, you'll have no shortage of, yeah. And I, I, on the other hand, am older, not as social media oriented, but I think if you Google me, you know, it'll show up, but I, I work full time for an employer. And I'm really not allowed to take other cases or anything like that because they've got me full time, you know, where I'm working now. And, uh, and yeah, I'm going to be 71 soon, but, but I'm still working. So until I get a, until I can leave, I can't take other cases or talk to people about other things. You but know, you still get to life. do good things for kids and families I in your job. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, and hopefully with the job and that sort of stuff too. So, I'm on the board of a, a CASA 
uh, I'm sorry for but child advocates in Houston. I'm still on their board, then also on the board of Santa Maria Hostel, which you know provides the only uh, really rehab services for mothers with their children. And yes, so there's not that separation, and hopefully some degree of success on uh, overcoming the drug and alcohol problem, as well as they offer parenting classes and just a real chance for. Uh, a woman to change her life or turn her life around, maybe get out of an abusive relationship and that sort of thing. So those are my two avocations, I guess you'd say. And the Santa Maria thing, I mean, you talk about something where you get a vibe of people running it who get it, yes. who really understand it, and also are like, let's put it, let's put it together. Let's make something right. good happen. I mean, I it's so. just, they're so distinct from so many other entities so yeah very cool i'm gonna have to reach out to some right. folks at the santa maria to have that conversation oh to have them on as well oh, I, I think it'd be great if you got some people from there because oh. they can give you a real insight i think i really do i mean they're right. with their you know people so all right well thank you oops I, no. somehow my phone okay see you later it's like thank that. thanks for having us okay thank you bye-bye thank you bye-bye hello beautiful people thank you all so much for listening to season four episode six with our child welfare series on everything culture we want to say thank you again and thank you for our guests judge wren and mike schneider we look forward to seeing y'all next week with our next episode which would be more of a lesson form conversation about child welfare and what is child abuse and neglect what does it look like and how does it affect families as well as the children and as always if you can like share and support with a comment and a review we would greatly appreciate that these are all great ways to support everything culture and we look forward to seeing you this sunday 1 p.m to 3 p.m pacific standard time for our everything culture happy hour with our community members thank you all so much god bless peace